is this like a, is this a mystery novel? Is this some sort of a, you know, it's one of those novels where if God's will is, means this, flip to page 17. If God's will means that, flip to page 191. If God will, God's will means this other thing, flip to page 81. Welcome to Untangling Christianity. On this show, John and Greg attempt to diffuse destructive ideologies, unsnarl confused ideas, consider love and truth in Christianity. I'm John Polstra. And I'm John Polstra. And you're Greg Monteith. <laughs> it's been a confusing day. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, this, this is, so, so listen people, this is like, what, four or five hours after the most recent installment of Sunday School with Greg. So what do we got today? Well, yeah, I mean, where to start? I just, I think something that, that, that continues to impress, impress me. Um, so when the French say it, it doesn't mean like I'm positively, uh, like that's really a positive thing. You've impressed me. I'm happy about that. I'm pleased. It sort of means I'm, yeah, you've impressed something upon me. It's more neutral. Right. Mm. And I would say in a more neutral sense, I continue to be impressed. I might say today I'm dumbfounded with some of the ways in which people are responding to the material I'm trying to present. And particularly today when uh, last week we did this, I just basically gave them 10 questions. A couple of the questions had like one or two parts to them. So we might say, in total, they answered maybe 14 questions last week. And um, that's all we did. What was less mattering in some of those questions? Uh, let me see. I'll go back to the question. How satisfied are you with your Christian life? One to 10. What about your Christian life satisfies you? So in other words, what value is your Christian life to you now in your day-to-day activities? How does it help you out? Uh, that was, those are the first two questions. The third, what in your opinion are the top things you need to learn in order to mature your Christian life? Name the top three. And then a few more questions like that about Bible reading. How would you know, how would you suspect that your understanding of the Bible is mistaken? Name three indicators. How would you know that God's will is not being done in your life? Name three indicators. So... Yeah, today was really just following up on that, and it was follow-up in the sense, not that I was looking for people's answers. I specifically said, you know, I'm, I really want to dig into one of these 10 questions, because one, one of them is really important, and I really want to know what you had for answers. I'm really curious. The other ones, I think, are really helpful questions. I think they're good. But the point is to help you understand how this course of study in self-deceit and suspicion may or may not be a good fit for you. And how it may or may not be an easy uh, matter to actually engage with, or how you might find it perhaps jarring or confusing, or and did you say that to them that it may or may not be a fit for them? Yeah. Well, we got into that. Yeah. How'd they take that? Um, I I don't think that people really were registering it that well. I think that there was still a lot of confusion. I think that people were thinking that. 
we were going to discuss the answers and we were going to, you know, compare answers and learn something from the answers. And my point was, yeah, actually those answers are for you. So one of the questions was in three parts, how interested, if you imagine you could learn something very important about your Christian life, how interested would you be in, do, be in doing that? One to 10. How much effort would you be willing to expend to be successful? One to 10. How much effort do you think it would take to be successful? One to 10. And so on those three questions, I said, listen, if your number is sitting around an eight for each one of those, then you know what? You're kind of in line for what the course is probably going to demand of you. And in fact, if the course goes higher than an eight out of 10, you're in the ballpark. So it should be okay. But if your numbers are lower, this may not be a good fit for you because you have certain expectations. This is either going to be easier or that, you know, you've got this much interest. This course is, you're not going to make it. So something struck me right there, which is at church, it's all for you. <laughs> what do you mean? Well, I wonder if this is part of what they're, I wonder if this is part of why it doesn't compute. Because when you're at church, everything is applicable for everyone all the time. There wouldn't be the sense that they would be opting out or that it wouldn't apply to them or that, I mean, when was it, when have you ever heard that a Bible study might not be useful or appropriate for someone? Well, yeah, but I guess, you know, to be honest, part of the whole picture that I'm painting through the response to all 10 of these questions is going to be, you know what, this is a crucial area of study. You may not be willing to take it up now. But frankly, and I was, I was, I was specific about this, there's no way you can be mature as a Christian if you haven't dealt with this type of material. If you haven't gone through and understood yourself and examined yourself in terms of self-deceit, and you haven't developed the skills at using suspicion and become self-critical. You know, I said a couple of times, you may have a number on that initial question, how satisfied are you with your Christian faith? If you haven't done some of this stuff, that number may be inflated. You may have an exaggerated sense of where you stand. So you're really closing in on things. I don't know, John. I, I mean, <laughs> no? Frankly, to be, to be clear, to be honest with you, I just don't know. Well, so you what know, happened today? Well, <laughs> You see, I think I think this is the this is the sort of thing that I'm seeing more and more and more. I can present something, and I th I still think they're looking to me to give them the truth, rather than looking at to me to help them develop their skills at understanding what truth is, finding it, and applying it. I'm doing the latter, but I think they're expecting me to do the former still, even though I've been super super clear with them. So at the end, uh, we've got less than five minutes to go. And one of the guys puts up his hand. And this is somebody who will, has often makes very long comments. And it's not so much maybe a comment or a question as, as a discursive presentation. So it's a, pres it's a discourse that is presenting counter to what I've been presenting. So this guy got about 30 seconds in and I just said, you know what? Stop. Stop. A, that's too much to respond to. And he said, well, I'm not looking for a response. And I said, that's, that's exactly the problem. Oh, <laughs> you are not having the final word here. I will have the final word or somebody else is facilitating this discussion. And you can tell I'm pretty heated about, I'm feeling pretty hot about this. Wow. Right. I'm, I'm pretty frustrated because I'm hearing this again and again, but the point, the, the, the point that, that that I'm at is that if I were in the audience, not being an expert, but having sat through this same type of thing, this derailing type of behavior happening 
again and again and again. The only week it didn't happen was last week when I took total control and refused any questions. And we finished on time. We covered the material. Ta-da, right? But if I were in the audience, I would, I, I, my frustration level would have been high enough that I would have said to this fellow, hey, you know what? I just don't agree with what you're saying here. And this is a problem. And it's a problem that you're, you're dropping this as a, this kind of door handle discourse, not even a question. And this has got to stop. But my sense is the audience is confused. So I can present to them about, we talked today about this whole idea of God's will, you know, and um, that how on earth can we think that God's will is constantly being done, that it's fully being done on earth as it is in heaven, on earth as it is in God's full unmitigated presence, right? Let's use that as a, as a, a synonym for heaven. In God's full unmitigated presence, of course not. Of course not. And at the very end, this fellow says, well, you know, we can't really know what God's will is. So God's will could just as well be that um, God is willing to let us all f- stumble all through this and make all these problems. So God's will could be that we do sin and blah, blah, blah. And I just, I just said, you know, no, that is completely wrong. Whoa. You have not read your Bible. I don't understand how you're coming up with this, right? This idea. And, and it's, it's just. How did he take that? he seemed shocked that you shut him down or that you were just like, no, that's flat out wrong. Everything. You know, I was very direct and I was very, I was angry, you know, but, but, but I'm, I'm not just angry at this fellow. I'm angry because it should be clear to the people in the room who have been going through this process with me. Now, I I think this is this, at least the fifth week where we've had people who are participants who not only will disagree, but disagree without having engaged with what I'm saying and disagree not in a way of raising a question, but almost of creating a counter discourse. What do you mean by that? So in other words, it's like you've presented um, on topic A and now they're going to present topic B? Pretty or- much. Or the top, topic uh, A negative, counter A. <laughs> right? So I've just said how, you know what? There's no way God's will is being done in this, in my life, in this planet, in our community, anywhere, in the way that it is in God's unmitigated presence. So, and I talked about the idea of the God, the kingdom of God. We can say the kingdom of God is already here, in the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. I agree with that, but it is not yet fully here, as it one day will be. So we talk about it. We call it the already and the not yet. That's a good short form, if you like to express the nature of God's kingdom in terms of its partial realization. So is God's will being done here and there, now and again, in this person and that, that community and this? Of course, of course. No one's saying it's not ever being done. That would be silly. But when we're called to pray for something, we're called to pray for it because it is not happening. So we're not focusing on all the things that have happened. We're looking at it being this fully realized thing. That's the point of that prayer on earth as it is in your unmitigated presence. And so this guy is essentially standing up and saying, God could be wanting exact, us to sin. He is, God, he, he's saying, no, it's actually it's the exact opposite. Yeah. Yeah. He's saying it's, that's not the case at all because, because we can't know, because we can't know what God's will is. It could be God's will that we could sin. And I'm thinking, how on earth can you be a Christian and say those things? Like if you don't know what God's will is, 
like, how can you come to church with a smile on? Wouldn't you be running around, pulling your hair out, running here and there saying, help me, help me. I'm so confused. I just don't know what to do. I don't know where or what God's will is. I, I've got no idea. But it sounds, like it, it sounds like his position, though, is it's not knowable. So it's just kind of like, oh, well. Well, why would you do it, John? Why would you even be a Christian? If you can't know who God is, if you can't count on anything, why would you get involved in something like that? And why on earth would you promote it with the amount of adamacy that this person is promoting it? Uh, I don't well, I can't speak for him, but I think of Kyle Eidelman, fire insurance. Fire insurance of what, though? How would you know? Like, I don't well, you know that much. That you bad. just know you don't want to go to hell, and this is the way. But how can you know? Like, if you don't know what God's will is, how do you know that you won't go to hell in the end anyways? You have no assurances. The, the type of uh, presentation of God that this person is painting is a God who is, uh, like, who knows? We throw our hands up in the air. But this is, if you're relying on the Bible to tell you that there is a heaven and hell, then you have to rely on the Bible likewise and with the same amount of commitment to, to say, you know what? Some of the things written in here are significant and mean something. And I can't just go of my own accord and say, you know what? I'm, I'm going to say it's, I'm, I'm not really sure about this. Well, that's, you're, you're lying. You're lying to yourself. You're lying to other people. You're lying to the people you're responsible to. That's a lie. Right? And it's, it's, this, it's this deviously crafted lie. It's deviously crafted because it allows you, on the one hand, to do one thing, which is keep yourself safe by keeping yourself out of hell. But it also allows you to do another thing, which is to say that God's will is unknowable, and therefore all this bad stuff that happens, it could be okay in the end. So I don't have to get worried. I don't have to get upset. I don't have to stake a claim and say, you know what? I'm pushing back against this. I, I, I see this as being incredibly dishonest and incredibly devious. Well, what but the other problem is that the people in the group don't get it. Because if they did, they would stand up and say, you know what? This has happened five weeks in a row. And, you know, Greg has just made some really good points here. And all you're doing is saying that everything he said about the Bible doesn't count and doesn't matter simply because you're saying it. You've got no proof. But instead, I don't hear anything. I don't hear any support. I don't, you know, and, and it's not even people that I'm saying that people should be supporting me. They should of their own rights be becoming, be, uh, be becoming frustrated, right? They should be getting frustrated. And your sense this. is they're not frustrated. I, I, my sense is they're confused. And the only reason they can be confused in the face of this is because, hey, Greg said something and this other guy said something. How should I know what to choose? Well, you should know what to choose because you should be thinking about it. You should be thinking about how these things apply. You should be thinking about what you know about God and what you know from the Bible. And my strong sense is they don't know a lot. And that's, that's being generous. Well, yeah, and I guess what strikes me there is if you're coming from a model of it's, it's not figuring out what I do know, it's knowing what someone tells me is true, then maybe looking at it this other way is completely unfamiliar. I mean, if, if you come to church for someone to tell you what the answers are, and that's the way it's always been, maybe you don't make any sense to them. Yeah, it could be. Although, you know, ironically, and if, if, he, if he's listening, I, I'd, <laughs> I'd like his comments, that pushes me a lot closer to Dan Daly's view, which I disagree strongly with. Wait, what? 
that pushes me much closer to Dan Daly's view that there's something inherently wrong with church. Oh, I thought you said you strongly disagree with Dan Daly's view. I do. It pushes. Wait. I do strongly disagree with it, <laughs> but what you're. Wait, but I thought we had him on the podcast and we, we sorted all that out. Well, we sorted it out. I still strongly disagree with him. I don't think that church innately is a wrong, is a bad thing. I think that churches can be misused and abused and that power and authority within churches has often been, it has created these types of results. But what you're seeing, what you're just, what you just said now pushes me much closer to being much more sympathetic with Dan than I normally am. Because if what you're saying is true, then I'm, I've got to think to myself again, well, okay, how much of this mentality is something that's like, I live in a rural spot. Is it a rural mentality? Is it a, is it a, is it specific to these folks or is there something about the way that churches are that helps create this? See, none of this is surprising to me. It seems like it's sort of surprising to you, but I don't, yeah, I don't, I totally hear the frustration that you're experiencing. And yet I'm not sitting here being like, oh my goodness, I can't believe this. Like it just, I don't know. All I can say is it's my experience of, North American Christian churches. And I haven't been in one for a long time. <laughs> I'm trying to think I'm trying to think how many years now. Uh I don't remember. But it's been at least four or five. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I guess But I in other words, I'd picture myself if I were to go back and I were sitting in on a service and I were to turn to the person next to me and say, Hey, by the way, how do you know this is true? I say, Well, it's in the Bible somewhere. Well, where in the Bible? Uh, hmm. Well, I mean, our pastor, he's a really good guy. He went to, he's got a master's in theology. And I mean, he only, pre- <laughs> he only preaches what's in the Bible. And <laughs> I'm laughing because <laughs> I was at this, uh, I was at this event. <laughs> I was at this outdoor event with my son that was at a local church. And we were, hmm. we were eating hot dogs at the little lunch table. <laughs> I don't think I've mentioned this on a podcast. I'm going to detail. No, you have mentioned to me at all. This guy just was killing me. He was talking. He was talking to this other guy next to him. And th- this other guy wasn't a member of this particular church, but was visiting for this particular event. And he, he had two notable, notable quotables. One of them was they were talking about the church and how it's a Bible they only preach the Bible, and then he was talking about the pastor. He's like, "Yeah, he goes, he's a we're 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 a biblically based church. If it's not in the Bible, our pastor does not preach it." <laughs> I was like, "Okay." And then the other one was, you know, but is this a perfect place? No, humans are involved. <laughs> so, yeah. So, but good in my. Yeah, so the full circle here is, yeah, if it's, it, you know, again, how do we know this is true? Well, it's in the Bible somewhere, and if you don't know where it is, how do you know that this is true? Well, the, the pastor said it, and how do you know the pastor's right on? Well, I trust him. Full stop. Mm-hmm. He's got the right answer, because he studied it. I mean, I, I haven't, but, you know, and who knows what the reasons are that they haven't studied it, but they haven't, and this guy has, and so he's got the answer. There's no need to do any more work. Yeah, and I, I think this comes I, I, I hear you and 
I think what I'm experiencing is is a degree of surprise and a and a and a degree of regret. And I wonder to what to what degree this is also a question of believing, like I believe pretty strongly that the types of things that I'm trying to teach or promote in this class that I'm presenting on, this notion these notions of self-deceit and suspicion, I mean they undermine who we are. They reveal how we are false and how we are, um, we do the very things we claim to disavow and hide them from ourselves. And I think that there's probably no way that anyone who is not, to use your term, an owner of their faith is going to really truly involve themselves. And I had hoped, I guess, to both promote and to call into question the degree of ownership that the people participating in this course of study have relative to their faith. And I did, the first thing I presented them on, presented to them was um, on the, the first question, you know, your level of, what's your level of satisfaction with your Christian life, one to 10? And I said, you know, ironically, the most, pe- most people that I've seen who have success with this material either have learned it and kind of had it applied in other areas of their lives and then applied it to their Christian faith or have a pretty low score on this question there. Their Christian faith faith is not working out too well and they're kind of dissatisfied. And so they're willing to listen to and think about and potentially take on the critiques of themselves that are implicit in these concepts of self-deceit and that come through the concept of self-deceiving that come through the practice of suspicion, applying it to yourself. So I guess, John, I'm surprised and disappointed that the amount of time we've spent doing this has not had a positive effect. If anything, it's had a negative effect. You know, I can't know for sure, but three of the four vocal people who have been vocally, you know, promoting contrary views to the ones I've been presenting without engaging with my views, without even trying to understand them, they're no longer there. No longer there. Now, is that ultimately a good thing? It might well be. For those people, I have to say no. Not if what I'm saying has any any truth to it, you know. But um, in other words. It's not surprising to me that these views exist. It's surprising to me just how deeply embedded they are. Just how firmly people hold to them and how unwilling they seem to be to consider views that challenge them. You know, and I, I, I still remember my, uh, a friend of mine, his younger brother did an MBA. He had already done his, his engineering degree. He was going into work with engineering firms so he's, you know, aware of the, uh, he's, he's knowledgeable in the field. He is got good, good business practice. And he said, you know, he's so excited to go in and start implementing some of these, um, um, performance enhancing, uh, sort of orientations and techniques. And after a couple of years of doing this, he came back he came out of it and he, he moved on to something else. And he said, you know, the problem was not that these people weren't aware of a better way to do things. It was that once I made them aware and put it right in front of their faces, they still wouldn't choose it. They didn't want it because it costs too much. 
They'd have to do things differently. They'd have to change. They'd have to admit that some of their ways of doing things and some of their favorite views on things were actually not correct. So what do you think the cost here is? <laughs> Honesty. Self-evaluation. Right, but it, Seeing I feel yourself, like there has to be something, a lower, a layer or two or three below that. These, the, the, what the if they're dishon- they What if they're, in other words, okay, it would, it would take me being honest with what I believe. Okay, and then what? Then you'd realize that you're holding your beliefs not because they're true, but because they're, they're convenient, they console you, or they attack and fend off other people. I think this is what, the, what suspicion allows us to see, that our motives are not the motives we claim to have. Christians claim to believe Christianity because it's true. I think a lot of these folks believe the views because it's convenient. What would be convenient about it? Holy crap. If I can believe that uh, God is constantly in charge, then all the stupid, heinous stuff that happens in my world has a point. It has a reason, right? There's some, there's some good reason for it out there, even if I don't know what it is. And I can console myself with that. Or let's, take, let's talk about the unity that exists at this church that I'm attending. As far as I'm concerned, this unity is based on a keep the peace model. It's not based on pursuing, pursuing truth in love. That's a Christian model. So is there unity there? Yeah, sure. But what's the, why is the unity that they've got, why have they chosen it? Because it's useful. Because they don't have to do the hard work. And you know what? They can still all get along. They just have to agree not to talk to certain people about certain things ever. That's called keeping the peace. I think also what they're seeing through the course of this, these five or six uh, sessions with me is that, you know what? Our views allow us to push back against other people pretty well. So we've got this Greg guy and he's pointing some fingers. You know, he's kind of poking the bear here and there. <laughs> well, it's perfectly fair for us to shoot back at him. And you know what? If he doesn't respond or he won't back down or the church won't get rid of him, we just won't come. Because my views allow for me to do that. Because he's antagonizing my views of God. He is threatening them. So I think below, below the, the, the cost of honesty is seeing that you have, I mean, it, even, even now feeling as frustrated and angry as I am, I am taking a step back from this comment, but I'll say it anyways. Your views are based on stuff that mean that your Christianity may not have a lot of uh, viability, right? It may be the type of Christianity that if someone came up to me and started talking to me about it, my first response would be, I don't think that's Christianity. I think you should get out of that. I think you should leave it behind. I think you should really do some hard looking. Because what you've got there sounds entirely dysfunctional. It sounds like a dysfunctional relationship or being part of a dysfunctional family. And the way to deal with that is get some space, get some help, get better. So, I mean, I think the cost of that is huge. I can understand in some senses why folks are fighting me so hard because if they really have to look, and that's where we're going, is looking at why we do what we do, looking at our motives, not just what we claim, because the claims don't add up. You can't claim that it's true, and yet your biblical interpretation is so flawed that time after time, you're contradicting yourself, you're applying passages about Messiah to yourself, you're misusing the scriptures. And then you've got this idea, like this fellow has, oh, well, who knows what God's will is? And yet you know that God is willing, hello, willing, to accept you, 
to engage with you and that as a result, you have an ongoing and will have an ongoing relationship with God. So he turns a blind eye to one thing that he knows in order to, to um, uh, announce that we really can't know these things, which in turn just makes his position nice and safe from my attacks, what he perceives probably to be my attacks. I don't think I'm attacking. I think I'm trying to show that uh, there's a problem here. So I asked you this question last time. I'll ask it again. What if you Go learned? Ahead. Like what? Hindsight's twenty twenty. Yeah. You're going you're gonna to teach this class all over again. What would you do differently? What have you learned? Well, I think, I think that the questionnaire and the follow-up is good. I think I might do that after one or two sessions, probably one. You know, and then some of these things, I think it's important. Um, if I were counseling somebody who is going to or advising somebody who's going to try to teach this, I would say, you know, be aware some of the things that will be presented and some of the timing, you're going to have to see that certain people are going to use not only certain arguments, but they're going to time them. So this guy, instead of asking a question at the end, was trying to lay down the right foundation for people to take away because I had laid the wrong one, right? And that has to be disbarred. So there's certain people you can say, hey, you know what? I'm happy to hear from you. Well, until we've got 25 minutes left before the end of the class. From 25 minutes left onwards, sorry, but I'm not taking a single question you have. I've seen too many times how you've, you've tried to just subvert the whole thing. Not going to do it any longer. You know, and I, and I would, I may not do that publicly, but I would do that to him, you know, face to face and say, no, not going to do it. I might have to do it publicly. And so I guess I've learned, I would say that if I was going to go in next week, I'm either going to have to A, say, you know what, I'm not going to take a single comment. So today I took some comments and it was funny because my Susan, my spouse, said to me, you know, you took some comments, and although you took them from safe sources initially, you then had to take it from an unsafe source at a, at a time that was the wrong time. But you were kind of constrained by that because you hadn't taken the precautions earlier, either to take questions from no one, or in this case, you know, what I'll do next time is say to this fellow, listen, sorry, buddy, no door hangers, no, no hand, door handle co comments. I'm not going to do it. Last 25 minutes are not fair game for you anymore. Um, and then just to always, to be aware that the cost to many, many people of really looking at what they're doing is enormously high. And so there's a, there's an incredible degree of, of creativity. I, I, I would unswervingly call it devious, uh, creativity, but there's an, there's a, there's an, I mean, I can't predict it's, it's almost unpredictable to think about where people are going to come from. And I think the, the third thing, so on the one hand, there's, there's having the right format. Let them have their play, right? Let, it, let the ideas be out there. Let this kind of run with some confusion. Then come in the next time with a questionnaire and then address issues as they come up. Understand who's going to respond when and how and be able to address those people specifically and then the last thing is to realize that there is a tremendous amount of ignorance. You know, and I've heard people talk about lack of biblical literacy, and I, I don't think, I, don't, I, I still don't think that's right. You know, the, the, the very idea that someone can, with all honesty, claim to have been a Christian for a number of years and not know what God's will is. Like, that's, that, that's crazy. 
That's crazy, right? It, it, it's, it's literally, there's something literally insane about it. Like you would never make a major purchase for a house or a business or, or a vehicle without reading the terms of the contract. You would never seek to engage in a marriage relationship unless you had no choice. You would never do it without knowing the person, right? So why on earth would you commit yourself to something as monumental as a religious belief without having a sense of what that other party wanted from you? of how you were supposed to live relative to that other party's expectations and demands. How could you do that? Right? It's ludicrous. And yet I had that sense, not only from this person, but from a couple of other people, you know, what, what could God's will be? And I'm thinking, is this like a, is this a mystery novel? Is this some sort of a, you know, it's one of those novels where if God's will is, means this, flip to page 17. If God's will means that, flip to page 191. If God will, God's will means this other thing, flip to page 81. Like it's. I'm sitting here trying to answer the question for myself. I'm not sure I can. Like how, and maybe it's seven more podcasts, but what, how would you summarize God's will? I mean, that sounds ginormous, like a ginormous topic. Well, yeah, but we're, you're, I think I think what's happening there is we're confusing this with knowing God's mind. I will never know God's mind, right? I hardly know my own mind. <laughs> I, I certainly don't know other people's minds, right? But knowing what God desires, and this isn't to like people are like, well, what does God desire about? I don't know how different elements should combine and create this thing somewhere out in space. Like, holy crap! What do you think's going on here? There is a key and a core, simple sort of formulation here that's happening. God exists. God creates humans. God desires to be in relationship. How you formulate those things is essentially what God wills. What's the greatest commandment? Love God with everything you've got. What's the next? Love yourself and love your neighbor likewise. So I would say that God's will is that we should love God entirely, we should love ourselves rightly, and we should love our neighbors likewise. That's what God wills of me. You know, you could quote, I, I think it's, is it Micah 6? That what does God desire but that you walk justly, you live justly and walk humbly and et cetera with your God. I don't, I don't have it on the tip of my fingers here, but if Jesus was indicating in the Gospels that those two commandments sum up the law and the prophets, you can be pretty sure that if you understand those things, and I think they're clear enough, and you do those things, now that's a different matter, that's tough. But if you do those things, or to the extent you do them, you are enacting God's will in your life. In other words, if, if, if sin is, are things we do or fail to do, orientations we have or fail to have that get in the way of right relationship with God, right? We want to keep sin out of the way. In other words, we want to keep all of the conditions right for what? For rightly relating with God. That is what God wills for you and me, that we should rightly relate with God. Does God care if I take this job or that job? Well, if one job is being a mercenary soldier or, or like, a, I don't know, a, a porn star, yeah, I think God cares about that. 
But if one job is a postal worker and another job is an accountant, quite frankly, unless there are other kind of mitigating circumstances in there, I don't really think so. Does God care who I marry? I don't really think so. I think God might have some things to say if I was marrying somebody of very dubious morals and character. But so do I, hopefully, right? So all of these kind of extraordinarily particular notions seem to arise out of this confusion between knowing God's mind and knowing God's general desire for us. And that, the, the biblical text is, like how, how, I, don't know, I don't know how you go wrong on that one, to be honest. How can you fail to understand as a Christian what your top priority is? What can you, how can you fail to understand what your second priority is? And if you've got these two things and you're pursuing God's kingdom, I don't understand how you can go wrong. Like, you can fail to do them, but you can't go wrong in the sense of, holy smokes, I'm confused because there's a whole other, like, five chapters in some tome of onion paper uh, with six-point font telling me what the rest of the matter is. No, it doesn't work like that. That's an interesting, that's a really interesting distinction. Uh, that's, yeah, that's well, helpful. I, and how have people been working? Like, what, what, in other words, like, if I come into church and I'm smiling, or I'm, or I'm doing anything other than running around shrieking and saying, help me, help me, help me. I am so confused. I don't understand. Like, how can you live your life thinking there's some massively complex and, and thoroughly inaccessible notion that you are still supposed to somehow be totally responsible for doing? Who, who gave you that idea? Because it's not in the Bible. Right? It's just, it's, it's not. Like, and we don't even have to worry, as Christians, we're not even worried about all the Old Testamental laws and all the variety of, of, of sacrificial rights that would accompany breaking different types of laws in different ways for different reasons. Right? That's a whole study in and of itself. Like, that, that's a little complicated. It's not beyond us. You and I could master this. The Israelites did in the sense that they understood it and they had a priestly caste who, you know, was there to help them out. But... It's even simpler for us. So, so if people really, really, truly believe that they're clueless on God's will and yet they're committed as Christians, I would be going insane. But I don't see anybody going insane in a church context or otherwise saying, please give me direction. I feel like at any moment I could be outside of whatever God's will, whatever the heck that could mean in their minds, but that this would invoke some sort of terror or, or at least... Um, ongoing anxiety to try to correct this. And I, I, I don't see it. One thing, one other thing I think that's interesting before we close yeah. the it makes me a little uncomfortable, but I can see the spot that you're stuck in, which is limiting. Like if it's supposed to be a discussion group, mm. it feels really uncomfortable to, for, to me to say, to like tell certain people that they can't talk. I can yeah. understand why, but it would almost seem to kind of break the spirit of the whole situation. Yeah, it runs against my principles entirely. You're right. And that's, a, that's an excellent point, John. I hadn't thought about well, that. Well, no, I'm not saying your principles. I'm just saying the whole idea here is to discuss and get to a deeper understanding through dialogue and not dispute. Now, maybe this person standing up at the end and just giving a different version is dispute. It doesn't sound like dialogue. No. So... Yeah, I don't know. And I some of this some of this too is the heavy bias I have from my open source software background. 
mm-hmm. which is that anybody can commit code unless you're a real jerk. But in, you know, it's like if you've got, if you have something to say on an open source project mailing list about the code or what you think should happen to the project, it's, you know, it's pretty much fair game as long as you're not being abusive or attacking people personally. So, yeah. so I guess I just have ingrained in in me kind of the, this, this idea that especially in a forum that values discussion that it, yeah, it'd be very hard for me to say, well, yeah, certain people aren't allowed to talk anymore. Yeah, no. And uh, I hear that. And I didn't think that you were, you were accusing me, but I, I, I stand accused of, it is a violation of my own principles to have to go that far. But at the same time, you feel like you have, you're kind of out of options. I have no other options. Either I step down or, you know, I agree with them or I stop them. And at this point, I'm not willing, I'll, I'll never do number two. You know, I'm never going to agree with somebody who's proposing an idea that I've already lived through, thought through, and discarded as inappropriate and doesn't work. So you're, you're not going to sell me on something I've already tried, used, and thrown out. I am at the point of considering whether I step down. Hmm. Right? And what would that look like? Well, I mean, I think I have to, I think I have to ask myself the question, how is my time being best used? I mean, when, so I, I don't think God's going to come to me. Let's just, let me be really clear. If, if, if there's any sort of conversation about this, the unfolding of this group and how it went, I don't think God's going to say to me, listen, it was my expectation <laughs> that those four people who were causing the most grief, that you affected their lives and made them change. I don't think God's going to say that to me. Then you failed. And, I, and you failed. No. Or, or even that, I, I just don't think, I don't think that's God's expectation, right? I think God's expectation is, I've given you something to say, and people may argue with me that whether they think that that's an authentic uh, belief of mine. It's, it is my belief that God's given me something to say. And your job is to say it, Greg. Okay, good enough. But I think God's also going to come to me and say, so, how many times did you think you had to say that and it not get heard for you to realize that this wasn't the right time, the right place, or the right people? And how is you banging your head against the wall maybe three times or four times, but let's get to five or 15 times. <laughs> How is that a good use of your time, Greg? Because you know what? You're a steward of the time I've given you as well. I'd like you to account for that for, to me. So I am now moving into the space of saying, yes, God, you could very well ask me that question. And I am very, very soon not going to have a good answer for you. Because it's soon going to be very, very clear whether the... um potential is there for productive outcomes or not, right? And I know, for example, that I could take my Sunday mornings and, and get back into some of my biblical research and get back into some of my reading. Like, I don't have time throughout the week. I have no time to read any of the books that I want to read. And I could be doing stuff over the internet and, and publishing, you know, on, the, on my, my blog. And goodness knows how many people that could affect in a positive way. Right. Whereas, like, what's my effect now? What's the positive effect? Well, I, th- I hope there's some, but I'm, I'm coming to a point where I guess my own level of personal frustration may mean that even though I want to be productive with, those, with these folks, uh, I may not be able to be.
Thanks for listening to this episode of the Untangling Christianity podcast. A summary and resources for this episode are at our website, untanglingchristianity.com. If you'd like to join our private Facebook group or reach us by email, send your requests, questions, or even a simple hello to feedback at untanglingchristianity.com. Music on this podcast is provided by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com and is licensed under a Creative Commons license.